Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good afternoon, or evening, or morning, wherever you are. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, the mysterious, the macabre. New England's own Van Helsink, with me, the godfather of ghost hunting. Stephen Parsons. Good evening. How are you? It is, huh? It is. It's uh, it's a little before eleven. No, it's twenty seconds after eleven p.m. Well, I never realized it, but today is a very important day. It is um, a very important day. For, on this day in nineteen sixteen, the British Army committed a one million men into the Battle of the Somme the largest British casualty loss in, in, the, in the Great War. And uh, one of my great-grandfather was there and won a medal. Really? Yep, I always remember him on this day. Um, I, I, I was able a few years ago to download and collect his war records. Uh, oh, that's pretty he won, cool. two, he won two gallantry medals in the Great War. Uh, mm-hmm. I never, we never growing up knew really what he did. Um, he, he, he died quite young in 1926 and my great-grandmother remarried but we were able to with the the, the records were released and uh, reading through them it, it was it really was quite uh, eye-opening the the campaigns that he fought in and uh, the actions that he was present at you know, the stuff that you, we grew up, re, uh, you know, reading about these legendary battles and events like the football matches on Christmas Day and the gas attacks and the mud and the horror of the trench Lots warfare. Of <laughs> Lots of mud. And then, you know, sort of putting this together with his history and realizing how many times he was there. Mm. more inspiring really made me you know so proud of this man that i've ever met nobody realized what all these guys went to we see the movies and we we don't really think much but it was uh, i don't even know who today could actually deal with what these guys did during the great war during the second world war especially the great war because that was really difficult then And, and not only the Trench warfare, which was got to be hideous, but also the the gases they used and stuff like that. It just was uh, just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so Steve. Yeah. You disappeared I, for a moment. I did, huh? Not that you're, I know of. You're back. You're back now. Yeah. Something must have happened on this day because I'm looking at what's going on and i'm i'm seeing today is canada day in canada it's territorial mm-hmm. days in the british islands it's uh memorial day canada it's hong kong uh 
establish rigid day. It's Freedom Day in, in Soraka. It's uh, S- Singapore Armed Forces Day, Republic Day in Guyana. It's got to be something to do with the British. It is. It's, uh, it's one of those... Uh, it's the days where... It, we, a lot of the countries like Canada um, belong to the Empire uh, and now belong to the Commonwealth. So they are independent nations. And a lot of them, uh, you know, you pick a day to grant a nation or give a nation its independence uh, under the crown or, or, or total independence. From, mm-hmm. um, and July the 1st just happens to be one of those days. I mean, actually, it's quite strange because Empire Day, which is something we used to celebrate here up until, uh, gosh, World War Two. It was, it was one of the big occasions in the British calendar. Uh, the, the, the calendar of the empire, in fact, Empire Day, was May the 24th, which was uh, Queen Victoria's uh, birthday. And they chose that as uh, she was the Empress of India. And so we, we I, I don't you know, long before my time, um, so I didn't recall ever um, celebrating Empire Day. But back in, you know, Empire Day was always celebrated over here. With, they gave out um, you know, the Royal Mint, you know, um, Produced bronze medallions for all of the school children uh, to, to to celebrate God, God King and Country. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean these legacies, and, and I think it's fantastic that nations can uh, still celebrate their their uh, identity uh, wherever they are in the world. You know this this idea of. Um, that you know, we're all the same people, but yet, you know, we have a national identity and a national pride. And it's one of the things that you know that has always impressed me about the United States in that, uh, and something that we've lost here in the United Kingdom, which is, you know, here in the United Kingdom, you will not see many houses flying a flag of any sort, uh, except when football season or the Olympics is on. Um, in classrooms, in law courts, in civic buildings, you very, very rarely see national flags and emblems flying, and yet that's such a common thing in America. And I think that's one of the things that we've we've lost a little bit in the United Kingdom, Um, you know, this sense of national identity. And in fact, quite recently, it's become almost a, a dirty word, um, you know, there have been controversies on Saints Days and on other national uh, days, yeah. and even when, even when we had our um, you know football teams in the World Cup and the Olympics, there have been outcries and protests against the flying of the Union flag, um, what, what people commonly know as the Union Jack, although that's that's a particular version of it, which is only flown from the Jack staff of a naval Royal Naval vessel, ordinarily called the Union flag. Um, and most particularly, the Cross of St. George. Um, and in fact, uh, quite recently, I was doing a uh, video uh, broadcast, and my background, uh, you know, it was, just, it was a video thing, so it was just at the office. And the, the bookcase or the equipment rack that's behind me, and I'm sure you've seen it, we, met, we, met, we call it, has a, an old World War II issue Union flag covering it and it was just I had to put it somewhere and that was the perfect place it was exactly the right size uh, and that's where it went and you know I'm fierce and patriotic and I like being British mm-hmm. and we had a complaint 
tough shit. Uh, about, <laughs> back, about the uh, about the oppressive racist flag on the background uh, of my video. Yeah, well, it happens. So, you know, I, I, I hunted all over Amazon for a Black Lives Matter one or an Al-Qaeda one or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an LGBTQ multicolored pride one. And they just didn't look right behind me. So <laughs> back went the clashed, union. They clashed with your yeah, complexion. They clashed with my... That, so yeah. back went the union. Black. Yeah, yeah, understandable. Quite understandable. And, uh, you know, I mean, one thing, you know, I've always admired the British for, of course, was, you know, they wear their poppy, which is something that... They do. We don't see that in the United States. We, the uh, Salvation Army, always uh, takes country. It's not Salvation Army. It's uh, oh, I can't think of the name of it offhand. But anyways, it's one of the organizations. They always stand out in the supermarkets and they take donations and they give you a little red poppy uh, if you give a donation. So uh, you know that's the only way we get our poppy. I mean, I, I we we. Well, we get it. I always, you know, I put we put them on the car. We put them everywhere, actually, because it, it's, uh, you know, it's it's such a a deep symbol, of a, a very spiritual symbol in itself. Uh, it's you know. quite an old symbol as well. It dates back to the nineteen twenties when the after the Great War, the Royal British Legion was founded to look after um, poor, disabled, uh, in fact, any ex serviceman who needed any assistance at all. And to fund that, it was a charity, and they started, uh, in fact, it was disabled ex-servicemen who continue to this day um, manufacture these poppies. And the poppy, it goes back to the famous poem um, in Flanders Fields, the poppies grow between... I was just going to mention that this Flanders Fields, because that's, that's huge. Yeah. In fact, Jan has a copy of that on mm-hmm. on the refrigerator because it, it, it's so moving and stuff. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, nobody really gives their crap about well, it because it, it, doesn't, well, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, affect them. That's all they care yeah. about, them. Well, uh, here in the UK, actually, the opposite has taken place. In the last uh, 10, 15 years, the number of poppy wearers has exponentially multiplied. Uh, poppy Day was, uh, it has always been a popular uh, commemoration in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but as generations, you know, as, as we sort of move through the generations, uh, it had started to d- diminish a little. Um, we have an annual Poppy Day ceremony and services on the 11th of November and all, and all on the closest Sunday to the 11th of uh, November and on the 11th itself at 11am. We've always maintained a two-minute silence through schools, offices, transportation, public spaces. You know, everybody stops for two minutes. Right. Um, but, but, but we've just gone through the, anniver- the uh, 100th anniversary of the Great War. Uh, from 1914 through to 1918. And that really has brought people's uh, focus. You know, the youngsters, my, my two, and, you know, it's revitalized it in a very, very, in a fantastic way. And um, whereas, you know, the kids 20 years ago may not be, may not have been that aware of the sacrifices that were made or, uh, on their behalf and on our behalf. Uh, now they are very much more aware. They've done projects on it at school. You know, there are battlefield uh, trips too. But, but 
they chose the poppy because it's actually because of uh, the Somme battle, uh, which was fought in the fields of the Somme, Flanders, in in the July of and through the the summer months of 1960. Um, And of course, the poppies don't flower in November, but they needed a symbol. And the symbol had already gone into usage. There had been uh, other symbols and iterations. So the poppy was already uh, accepted. And, and of course, you had the famous war poem uh, that uh, we both just just touched upon. And the poppy was the natural symbol of remembrance. And uh, it used to be very much the case that at the annual uh, Poppy Day, uh, Royal British Legion um, Service of Remembrance, which is a semi-military uh, gathering with military displays and then uh, a religious service, always attended by the monarch, and still is. <coughs> um, they they stand for two minutes, and from the ceilings of the Royal Albert Hall, um, poppies are dropped. And it, 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 I don't know whether it's still the case, but it always was the case when I was a child that every that there was one petal for every life lost in the Great War. Yeah. Yeah, that's and to watch these poppies fall endlessly for minutes. Yep, we have uh, a similar tradition uh, on Memorial Day. We we post uh, depending where it is, of course. Uh, like in Boston, they they uh, uh, in Massachusetts, they put up a, a small flag, one of those little flags, in the fields or a common somewhere, one for every. Uh, soldier lost in the, in the wars and, and it's quite you know an awe to take take in all those lives that were lost that people never had a chance to do anything but die for their f- freedoms and everything which uh, nobody really cares about anymore so uh, that's a shame but anyways well, we, we, well I, I like to think that you know it Somewhere in a in a, a corner of, of of each of us, there is a little bit of remembrance. For that. No, I don't think so. I'm sorry. Over here, we're still. Yeah, I think being. Bit, that's I think, why they tear. That's that, why they tear down the monuments, right? They want to face the monuments. Well, I, I think. I think yeah. maybe. I think maybe the difference might be, particularly with the Great War, um, is that we had a three year head start. And America joined in, in 1917 and, you know, lost huge numbers of, of soldiers, sailors, uh, and, 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 and airmen too. Right. Um, but we had, you know, um, proportionally a greater loss. Uh, there were huge, I mean, the British are fantastic at military screw-ups. And, um, you know, we, <laughs> I'm glad you said we that, not me. <laughs> We came up with this idea of, uh, and, and I'm sure you've heard of them, the Powell's Battalions, where you, uh, you, you, and all of the men from your sort of community would all join up together. And the great idea was that you join up together and you fight together and go for glory together. And what actually happened was, entire towns and villages, all the men folk got wiped out together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the, the northern sort of mill towns, uh, the, the 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 king's own estate in Norfolk at Sandringham was basically you know all of the menfolk were wiped out, yeah. um, and that you know that sort of blow to the national psyche takes a very long time to recover from. 
We, uh, you know, we, we learned, uh, you know, with the Sullivan brothers and, and other ones that you know, we, we, you know, we, we try not to do that anymore. The wipe out entire families, all the, the males in the family. So we, we didn't, we, we weren't content with wiping out the entire family. We wiped I out don't, the entire family. Okay. Yeah, I know. But anyway, you know, I mean, uh, we're not here to talk about, we're here to talk no, no, about No, 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 we're not. Things. We're not. But I was going to say, one of the great things is because we, we, we tend to go first, uh, you know, with the with Empire and World War One, World War Two, America has been able to learn by the screw ups of the British. We always start every war um, with a a loss, you know, Dunkirk and uh, the retreat from in 1914, because we like to wrong foot the enemy and give them a false sense of security. Yeah. All right, so we're moving, and on then we the kick their ass. Yeah. Yeah, with a little help from your friends. Yeah. Uh, moving yeah. right along, <laughs> we we came to talk about today. Uh, uh-huh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I did have one other thing before we went on that. Uh, tomorrow, perhaps, is most the important uh, holiday of all, which is uh, it's World UFO Day. So, just well, I don't know. I thought the, I, I, we got July the fourth coming up. Yeah, but World yeah, well, UFO Day. Wait a minute, we'll do a both the updates, everything. So there you go. Anyways, we have to move on. Well, I was going to say, July the 4th is a hugely significant day, primarily because um, the rest of all the remaining uh, countries of the UK come out of lockdown. Oh, good. We get to, we get to go out. <laughs> that is awesome. Anyways, <laughs> moving right along, uh, we, we decided today, we'd, we'd, since we didn't have a guest, we would talk a little bit about ghost hunting equipment. And uh, you say it's a hot topic in the UK right now. I, you know, I, I'm kind of like bored out of my gourd with it, but that's all right. <laughs> um, so I want to, what I thought I would bring up. And you can talk about whatever you want, too. But I, I thought I'd bring up some of these different devices that they have and, and see, you know, discuss, are they, you know, is there any validity to them? So, so. Go, go right ahead. But can I, can I first of all just uh, give uh, you a, a brief introduction, if I may? Uh, um, the reason I ask that is because, as you know, um, I've recently been commissioned to write. Uh, hang on, let me get the exact title. Now I figured it out today. Yes. Uh, it's going to be called "Guidance Notes Relating to the Use of Equipment by Investigators of Ghosts, Hauntings, Apparitions, and Poltergeists." USPR publication due out in the spring. And you know, one the one the uh, writing the introduction and. Uh, I'm just going to give you the first two paragraphs. Oh, it is a fact. It is, no, I mean, it's relevant to what we're going to be talking about. That's Go ahead. It, it, it's a fact that to date, and despite the many claims to the contrary, there exists no device or piece of equipment that is capable of detecting ghosts, apparitions, or poltergeists, or which is able to demonstrate the existence of any other paranormal entity. It is also the case that the overwhelming majority of the available evidence relating to hauntings, apparitions, and poltergeists exists in the form of personal testimony and the subjective accounts of witnesses. However, that does not mean that using equipment or making measurements as part of the investigation process is worthless. Far from it. The use of equipment has allowed investigators to examine locations in the minutest detail, 
they have the capability to measure and observe almost every, every aspect of the environment in which phenomena are experienced and reported. And they have used those observations and measurements to gain a better understanding of the environments in which these events occur. There we are. There you go. Done. So that, that sets the scene. I guess it does. So I have, I have big problems with your statement, but that's besides the point. No, I don't no. know what. I don't know what your definition of a paranormal entity is, because I think there probably are devices that could prove the existence of a paranormal entity, depending on what you believe that para, the definition of a paranormal entity. Well, the problem is we don't have um, any evidence of paranormal entities. None. Well, we... Other than, other than, uh, other than personal testimony. And That's not necessarily true because some things that we no longer refer to as paranormal entities are now. They're, therefore, they're, they're not. They're, they are now. They are now realized that they are now entities. Uh, they are a real entity, not a paranormal entity. So I don't know what your definition of paranormal entity is. So well, you want to? Do you want to give a quick? Well, the the can't be one because we don't. Yeah, I mean paranormal. Basically, anything that we don't yet understand, but we believe may have a supernormal or above normal um, causation. Now, I, I, it does specifically say entity, so it's looking at um, the ghosts, the apparitions, the poltergeists, and, and similar phenomena. Well, it would, would, wouldn't a cryptoid be a paranormal entity? To me, it would be. Sasquatch. Uh, 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 but the guidance notes and the use of equipment for ghost hunting does not take account of... No, no, no you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just talking about your statement, what you made. You, well, it's not in reference they, to they, the, the ghost hunting. It's just your, your, your thing of paranormal well, I think, entity I think, is, is what I, I take well, a, a bridge to. But in well, reference to the ghost, I, ghosts, I, I agree with fine, you. But, that's and fine, but... I'm agreeing with you. In, a, in, a, in, a, in a relationship because, to ghosts, I will agree with you. Because um, in, in, in the context of the statement, paranormal entity uh, clearly refers to the named phenomena, which I name in the introduction, and is the general, you know, otherwise, you know, semantically, yeah, you could say it refers to anything. But it, it is very specific in the context of the use of the word, the, 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 the use there, because it does specifically key it into... refers to ghosts. Yes. I, I have ghosts, haunting apparitions, shadow people. Similar, uh, similar phenomena, yeah, it would, it would okay. account for them. It depends uh, on they are. It would uh, not account for uh, Bigfoot, unless he appeared mysteriously on the stairs of a haunted house. Um, a little alien creature, aliens, unless they appeared on the stairs of a haunted house, or, um, you know, peering oh, down the corner. Fair enough. Uh, but, you know, I mean, this is the problem with the paranormal, isn't it? It's getting two people to agree about anything at all. No. No, this is a discussion show, so I brought up my discussion. But anyways, and so let's, let's take a look at some of these equipment that they have out here in use of the search for goats. And the fr <laughs> What's that? Goats. Yeah. Uh, so the first one I want to bring out is something that I know you hold dear to your heart, and that would be the 
stuffed creatures like Boo Baby, Bear, and Paranormal Pussy. Uh, are we... So... No, I love Paranormal Kitty, actually. All right, whatever. Pussy yeah. Kitty, it's all the same. Anyway. Well, it used to be. The liberals so, got over <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. So these little creatures are, are stuffed with mm-hmm. basically EMF meters. Uh, what else do we have? Cold lights, but that's very similar. Well, actually, actually, do you know what? Most of them aren't stuffed with EMF meters. That's the contract. Well, the ones I mentioned are. Mm, I, well, they say they are, but actually, uh, I've had the the the. the the good fortune. Um, you did not you, dissect Sandra's paranormal pussy, did you? No, that, not that one, no, but another one, um, uh-huh. a booper. And what they are is actually a theremin, a musical instrument. Um, the, the old theremin that we used to play. In, right, um, right. Yeah, that, most of them work by using either... There are... There are uh, I grant you, there are some devices that do have the innards of a K2. Or well, for instance, the, the Boo Bear, the Boo Bear, it, it distinctly says in its description, detects changes in EMF, temperature, movement, and vibrations. Yeah, because basically what they're doing, uh, they're all, I mean, they're absolutely all. Uh, and Boo Bear is a very expensive example. Yeah, $600 expensive. Version. Exactly. And what the, if you actually take one apart, and I haven't taken a Boo Bear apart personally, but I have seen the innards of a Boo Bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen another investigator dissect a Boo Bear um, and send me the photographs. And what, what you're essentially wow, looking that's at... Expensive di- dissection. Uh, well, it was put back together again afterwards because it only requires a little bit of unpicking. Frank there. Well, you just take you, you <laughs> the stitches and you take the stuffing out. So, oh. Because what, what they've actually done is stuffed a, mel, a melmeter into it. That's what I figured. No, oh, oh, wait a minute, that, a melmeter? Yeah. Um, inside the booba that I saw dissected, uh, there was actually the circuit board from a melmeter. Okay. Um, a few a few of the sensors had been, you know, uh, longer wires had been soldered onto the soldered right, onto right. the uh, onto the board uh, to extend them to different portions the of the box. Stuff, right. Yeah, um, but uh, or to you know to to move the the LEDs to different places. But that was all that they'd done. They'd taken the guts of a melmeter, which is what one hundred and twenty dollars. One well, uh, one ninety nine, depending on which one right. you buy. Yeah, okay. the top of the line one is one ninety nine. They used to go; they go for like a hundred bucks or something. Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're buying. Unless them you get them free, like me, but that's besides the point. Yeah, I mean, they're buying them on mass. So let's say they pay hundred. Let's let's be generous. They pay one hundred and fifty for the booba, mm-hmm. uh, for the melmeter. They it takes twenty dollars worth of time and la- uh, labor and bits of you know additional solder and wire. Oh, we got to go right now, thing. so you're gonna have to hold that thought. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International, Steve Parson and Ron Kolak, right here at Tojinet and Pararex Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. So uh, stay tuned for the tunes, and I'm going to go run off and warm up my tea in the microwave. We'll be right back. Welcome to Toginet. 
Radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. Two of Ghost Chronicles, the international edition, hosted from New England by New England's own Van Helsing, and here the Godfather of ghost hunting here in the UK. Little old me, and tonight's subject is ghost hunting tech. Okay, so I, I, I before the break, you were talking about the yeah. network. So yeah, it's so one hundred and fifty dollars to buy the mill, and twenty dollars for parts and labour. Uh, so, yeah, call it, let's be really charitable. Let's say $50 surplus, 200 multiplied by three, nice little profit. So, anyways, they have in Forbes magazine, it's highly recommended. Uh, that's all it says. I don't know where that came from. It's highly also recommended fe- for what? I don't know. And it's also <laughs> featured in Popular Mechanics. But here's a statement I'm not so sure that you would agree with. It says here, uh, Boo Buddy's mission is to investigate the paranormal with us, promoting positive response and letting us know when the environment changes. But this is, well, okay, I can understand that because if it has its mission changes. However, this is where it gets a little funky. Boo Buddy asks EVP questions. Boo Buddy asks EVP questions in order to trigger a response. If anything changes, EMF motion temperature, Boo Buddy will respond appropriately, letting us know that we may not be alone. Set Boo Buddy down, turn it on to detect environmental changes, and start asking questions. Make sure to set up a recorder or camcorder near the doll to document any potential responses. Boo Buddy loves to be on camera. Children will love it. It's definitely not a toy, though. So, what? I mean, do you have any problems with that statement? No, it's advertising. It's marketing hype. Uh, you know, if people, if, if you're gonna, what what they're really saying is, 
set it down on the floor, switch it on, put your camera on it and start talking to the, you know, is there anybody here? Can you hear my voice? Can you make the lights flash? That's exactly what people do with K2s. It's exactly what they do with millimeters. It's exactly what they do with cat toys. It's exactly what they do with... So all they're doing is, is a, bit of, a bit of flowery, clever language to sell the product. But the, no, I don't have the, a problem. The question that. is, is there any scientific evidence that no, if, if no, ghosts right. wait a minute, if ghosts exist, they could respond to us by flashing lights or moving an EMF or moving a temperature. Well, you know, a simple question. I, I can counter that with a very simple question. If Boo Buddy, Melmeter, K2, um, Ovilus, and all of these other devices right. were producing oh. the, fan- the fantastic evidence that people claim that they produce. Forget the manufacturing hype for a minute. Let's just look at the claims that are being made about these devices on social media, on fake YouTube videos. You know, oh my God, we switched the millimeter out and it, it responded immediately and the little girl ghost came through and blah, 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 blah. If that was as overwhelming and as devastatingly uh, veridical as it appears to be, why isn't science using them? Why aren't parapsychologists, why aren't physicists, why aren't you know, you know, why, why are people, you know, why is mainstream science going, don't be daft? Because if, 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 in all other areas where the amateurs have made a breakthrough, you can bet your sweet, you know, uh, sweet life that two minutes behind them would be the scientists hoovering up all the glory, because that's what happens. The amateurs make discoveries, and uh, these discoveries are looked at by the by the mainstream scientists, and they go, "Oh, well, actually, there's something in this." And you know, I'm I'm going to get a Nobel Prize, or uh, I'm going to get my PhD, or I'm going to get you know uh, an award for this. And they 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 throw themselves into it, and lo and behold, you know, they make the discoveries and they get the accolades for it. Haven't seen any meters, boo bears, cat toys, ovaluses, or anything else yet. And the reason why is because it's it's electronic snake oil. And the, the thing that kills me about this is is they have this nice little thing. It has descriptions, directions, contents, technical specs. So I click on technical specs. <laughs> Ten inches tall. That's yep. technical, yep. Rechargeable yep. battery. Mm, that's yep. good. Uh, runs on 35 hours. Where, where's, 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 where's the technical specs? I don't see any anywhere. You know, the biggest problem I've had with a lot of these, um, you know, even even the the, uh, the 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 ghost arc, the Melmeter, the Ovilus, you know, these are the ones that are top dollar, really expensive pieces of equipment. The ghost hunters are, you know, being you know, promised the earth and delivered very little for. Um, when you look at the technical specifications, they're mostly not there. They waffle on about the battery will last this, and it can it can see it can see you know full spectrum video without defining what that is. It tells you nothing about the range of the sensor, the the sensitivity exactly. of the device. It tells you nothing at all about the the parameters, the calibration. The calibration. It doesn't tell you the plus or minus. It doesn't tell you anything. No, no. And if you look at a simple five dollar um, thermometer, digital thermometer coming out of China. Uh, it, when you open up the, uh, the little bit of paper and you look on it, 
there's there's four or five lines of specifications that say accuracy plus or minus one degree. If the Chinese can do a five dollar thermometer, why can't Ghost Augustine do it with a Boo Bear or one of their other or paranologies with their flashy light up nonsense? I, I don't. That's the thing I really don't understand. Now you you spent device. Yeah, yeah. You spent two hundred dollars on a uh, um, a media, which you know I have, and you get the instructions with it, which is basically not even a full sheet of paper, nope. and it gives you absolutely zero specs. It very little operating instructions at all. It's you know, people are paying extremely good money, $300 for this boo beer, $200 for that eddy meter, $200 for uh, uh, the top quality of the malmeter. And, and what are they really getting? Do they even know what they're really getting? And the answer well, is don't. no, because they don't they tell don't. you what you're getting. They don't. And what's, what's most depressing of all is I have actually, you know, uh, ADI, uh, K2, Mel, I've taken them apart. I've looked at the things. And you can look at them, and on these circuit boards, you can see the, the, the component numbers and the right. parts. And, and you are getting very, very, very poor quality, bottom end, bottom of the parts bin stuff. Um, the, uh, one of the one of the, and I won't name it, but one of the EMF meters, um, the sensor in it was it was junk. It was three turns of wire around the dust core, and that was the EMF sensor. I mean, first of all, it wasn't measuring electromagnetism. It was a, it can't. It was a, it was a very crude transformer device that responds to nearby to magnetism only. But you can, you can infer the electric field from the magnetic field using a little bit of mathematics but this device wasn't doing it it just sent more voltage to three leds there was no it wasn't measuring the electromagnetism it was measuring how fast it moves through a magnetic field or how fast the magnetic field or electromagnetic field from a, a, a wire or a cable will move past the, the trans and how much voltage it will in, induce into the transformer coil and it, was, it was crude beyond belief. And, I mean, it, they are. And a lot of them, I mean, you even go back to some of the simple ones, which, by the way, the original ghost hunting equipment was designed for other things other than ghost hunting. But you look at, you know, simple ones that they used to use for, like, the microwave and stuff. You knew where the, they actually tell you where the sensors is, so you, you yeah. know what your actually your sensors are. Versus, K2 Industries. Who, who made the first K2s, which were then purloined onto the television and appeared as ghost detectors. Um, you can still buy the original K2 meter, mm. manufactured to detect microwave oven emissions and right. cell phone leaks. And you can still buy that. Uh, it's still being made. Or you can buy the exact same thing that's been imported by, by a different company from the same manufacturing plant and has a different sticker on it at double the price. Or you can do it with... I mean, an interesting one is the cat ball. Now, on Amazon, I can buy three cat balls for three ninety nine, um, And when they, you know, when they, you put them down and they move, they light up and flash. Now, one of them actually says... Um, now, Kenny Biddle did a fantastic job where he took one apart and then took another dedicated ghost hunting version apart and found that they were absolutely identical. Uh, in, in, in every respect, um, I, I did, went a little bit differently because Kenny had already looked at the components, but I looked at the way that they're designed. 
because they're designed as a cat toy. They don't want to just sit there and, and do nothing. They want to, you know, they want the cats to play with them. And when they're manufactured, they put, they have three little LN for LR44 batteries on one side and three coloured LEDs on the other side and a, a little electronic doodad in the middle that makes the lights flash when it moves. But you want the ball to move. And the weight of the batteries on one side is slightly offset from the centre. So the circuit board is not fully centred. The thing is inherently unbalanced. And when anything is you know, unbalanced, it really doesn't take a great deal of force uh, to overcome it, um, the steady state. Mm-hmm. And the thing will just move, you know, it doesn't really require anything. And once it goes, it'll, it's actually quite unpredictable. It's almost impossible to roll a cat toy in a straight line because it's a weighted ball. Right. Okay, so uh, you know, we, we spent a lot so of time popular. on There on are groups this. out there that, yeah, but there are groups out there now that are still yeah, here in West Wales. There's a paranormal group with 14 of the bloody things. Yeah, well, it is what you it know, is. I mean, they're greatest asset. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so let's look at it for a more practical point of view. Uh, things like the paranormal pussy or, or boob ear. A trigger device. Are they, is there any value as a trigger device? And, and think carefully when you answer that, please. Right. Well, in, in reality, let's look at the history of the trigger device because it's not that, it's not a recent thing. If we look back at um, Borley Rectory, Harry Price, there was, there was uh, and, and, and beyond that, there were control objects um, and there were uh, objects of, of significance that Price, you know, you put it down, you draw, you would draw around it, with uh, put a ring of chalk around it and see if it moved. And he deliberately chose objects that might be um, uh, attractive. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, might provoke a response. And in right, fact, right, rather yeah. than trigger object, I coined a term some years ago when I was uh, when Kieran and I were doing some stuff. We used to call them objet provocateur, provocative objects. Okay. And so the idea has been around now for for you know approaching a hundred years. This idea of that the spirits might move something, that, or people say the spirits move something, therefore give them something to move, something that they might be connected to. And, you know, various religious bits and, uh, bits and pieces have been used, children's toys, if it's perceived as a child's ghost. Um, that, that developed into the, give it a buzzword, call it the trigger object. Yeah. Uh, um, and... The idea is far from you. What, what's crazy, though, is the, is, the, is the way that they're implemented now, because most trigger objects now have electronics packed into them. Right, right. So we, we've gone beyond that. I'm just looking at an aspect as, as a trigger device. What are your thoughts were on a trigger device? We already touched on the electronic crap. We're not dealing with that again. Well, I mean, they're completely... No, I mean, no, as, as a trigger device, and, and for instance... paranormal kitty. No, yeah, I'm talking about strictly as that. We already talked about it. it was when I brought that up. I said we already talked about the innards. What about the devices well, themselves as a trigger yeah, device? Specific, specifically. I don't really care about the lights, Steve. Really don't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Okay. Because I was going to specifically refer to the advertising uh, for Paranormal Kitty, the one that's sitting here next to me right now. Yes. And it, it says this, uh, you know, we, we understand that people love cats. This cat is so accurate that it will it will entice you know the spirit the ghost to come stroke it. Okay. Now I actually you've seen Paranormal Kitty. 
Would yes, you describe Paranormal Kitty as unerringly accurate? Uh, as roadkill, and yeah. Li- and, and lifelike? Definitely as roadkill, yes. I would say that. <laughs> I've seen some pretty nasty-looking roadkill, and I would put Paranormal <laughs> Pussy right up there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... No, no self-respecting ghost. Actually, I, I wouldn't see the lights flash on it. I'd see. I'd expect it to see it kicked across. You know, if, if ghosts were real. They, what I'd the hell is that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd expect to see it drop kicked across the room. <laughs> All right. So, so moving on from those devices themselves, yeah. as trigger objects or whatever you call them, uh, is there any? Uh, value to trigger objects? Are, are they something that uh, it, a very highly limited? Like? Yeah, I mean, in a, in a very high, all equipment has to be used in context. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if you were conducting a, an investigation of a location whereby the witnesses regularly report, say, the candelabra removed or the dishes and the flatware on the, on the tables is moved, then it makes absolute sense to find out if that actually is the case perhaps by, you know, introducing a control object to see if that too also moves. Now, so, for instance, if, if a family reported that uh, their child's toys were played with, uh-huh. uh, it would be acceptable to use a child's toys, toy as a trigger device in such an investigation. I think that would be entirely appropriate. However, I would say, first of all, if it's the child's toys that are being touched or moved, I know, I then you... Then use the child's toys. Exactly. You know, exactly. And, and and look at them first. Then, if 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 there is you know some sort of question about whether the child's toy itself is weighted or loaded or mm-hmm. or in some way, then introduce a control toy of you know that's almost identical or as close as you can get. Mm-hmm. You know, not like we're seeing quite recently, where the ghost of a 16th century uh, child. So a child from the 1700s was given uh, or was offered by the investigators a Buzz Lightyear toy. Yeah, I know. But unfortunately, you, know, you, you can know, see it's not going to work, is it? You know, no, back, like, at, back in the day, though, that they used to the originally, that's what they would do is they would try to get objects that were uh, apropos to the whatever the haunting was believed yeah. to be. All right, so we've gone 45 minutes into the show, and we're running out of time, so I do want to touch on some other things rather than just trigger objects this whole show. And the next thing I wanted to talk about, which intrigues me, is the value of uh, laser uh, grits. Is there a value, in your mind, is there a value of laser grits? Uh, Well, well. Not in their present form, there isn't. However, back 20 years ago, we were doing an investigation of a notable British location called Chingle Hall, and we were encountering objects that were floating past in front of the camera. And we needed a method of trying to determine at the time whether these things were paranormal or whether we were dealing with something you know, more normal. And we, we dug out, we, we, we found a rotating laser that sent a cone of laser light from a fixed point outwards. So it was like, you know, like shooting a cone of light out. And we positioned the camera in the center of the cone, um, looking outwards. And over the camera screen, we had an acetate that was marked in distance so that, you know, uh, if anything broke, 
the ring at or they broke the cone of light at different points. We we knew how far away from it it was. And so, yeah, we were using a laser grid. But I'm sure you've been in the situation that I've been in because we have them now. That You, know, you can buy them for Christmas decorations to illuminate the outside of your house. Have you ever seen how disorientating the outside of your you know house or a room when you're in an investigation looks when everything's covered in green dots? Right. I totally understand that for, to the visual eye. However, however... If you do similar aspects where you are recording video on it, would yeah. that wouldn't that be? Oh, uh, no perceived. You're looking at the. It, it throws the you know it throws a curveball at your three dimensional senses because you can't perceive distance properly when you're looking at a room or a, a surface that's got these damn dots all over it. Now, if you then take a picture of it with two D, with a two D camera or a video camera, you've got no sense of depth whatsoever. You don't know whether whatever it's showing up is a f- half a foot from the camera or half a half a uh, football pitch away from the camera because the dot size of a laser is so well controlled that it barely expands. Uh, you know, it is such a narrow... So, so could you mark those particular areas? For instance, if you were in a room, you could, you could mark the... Uh, distance of objects from the point of now, reference. The only way that would work is if you were using a laser reflector system like you helped out with, with Apollo on, on, on Apollo 11, where you could bounce. In fact, there is, there is the opportunity. Um, ghost hunters take notes, sit up and take notice because technology is about to throw you an interesting lifeline. Uh, using the, uh, the current iteration um, of the iPhone 11 Plus, and the new outcoming iPhone 12, they have for the first time LiDAR, and they have a laser emitter in the device that is projecting an invisible infrared uh, laser grid, light grid, uh, rather like that green grid that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. But the camera system and the software can read back the images and turn that into a three-dimensional representation. It's rather like a better version of the Kinect camera and the SLS camera systems, because they're doing it a similar, a similar thing. They're shooting out beams of infrared light. It's not laser, but it's infrared. And then they're collecting uh, the light bounce back and using it to detect uh, the game player. Right. Well, play. they have they have for this mere price of two hundred ninety five dollars the DGS two laser grid system, which, uh, according to this, can measure motions, distance, direction, yeah. temperature, yeah. shape, and size, and baseline yeah. readings. Yeah. And uh, you know what it is? What? You know what that is? That's an SLS camera. Because as soon as he says laser can't measure temperature, now. If they're, if they're using the, uh, the device itself to measure temperature, they're using the infrared portion of the sensor because one of the, one of the new opti- uh, optimized uh, uh, infrared emitters uses the amount of uh, infrared light that's emitted back from the surfaces of the objects that it's looking at in order to determine temperature. It was one of the calibration methods that they were improving on, the, for example, games, uh, connect cameras, to, t- to tell a human player from a dummy the human player would be warmer than the dummy. And by warmer, they mean emitting more infrared thermal energy. 
Okay, so according to this, and this gives a little bit, it says you can now determine the temperature changes within the mapped area and tell what direction it is moving utilizing a 64-point thermal sensor. Yeah. You can buy that thermal sensor from your plumbing supply shop. They're about $30, and it's exactly the same sensor. It's, it's, uh, it's the little brother of the thermal imager, and it uses a sensor that's very similar to the, the motion detector sensors, the infrared motion detector sensors, except that each of the, the individual cells within the sensor are calibrated to read out in temperature, not set off a motion alarm. And your, your, your Lowe's or plumbing supply shop have had these in stock for the last 10 years. It's called a thermal, um, uh, it's not a thermal imager, it's a thermal detector. or a And it'll tell you, you know, where the hot spot is, whether the hot spot's left, right, up, down, you know, as, mm-hmm. as, it, as it goes through the scene. That is, I mean, it's, it's, a, 30, it's a $30 sensor. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So, anyways, uh, this is the improvement on that. Now, I I understand that the the SPR or perhaps was it the SPR or was it Harry Price? I'm a little confused now. But they had Spider, which is a similar yeah, spontaneous spontaneous paranormal incident data electronic recorder. And how does that vary from what we're talking about what, with this? Well, it, well, what Spider is is actually it's more than one Spider. Um, spider is there's been several iterations and ver- versions down the years. But what what Spider was was essentially an early form of data collecting system um, that was each. Uh, so it, it, it was a data recorder um, that could be triggered, or it could. Uh, so, for example, if the temperature went up, it would turn the video camera on. If uh, a sound was heard, it would record the sound. If it, if uh, so, it, it, it was basically a bunch of sensors that fed into a computer, and if the computer uh, picked up that one of the sensors had activated, it would start recording, and that's what it was—a spontaneous paranormal incident data electronic recorder. It was a computer that was linked to a thermometer. Uh, a sound a sound level device and a pressure device in one version of it. There were numerous versions of it where different sensors could be plugged in or out. It's still alive. Uh, it lives in a garage somewhere. In fact, it should, it could, as early as next year. It could have been this year, but uh, mm-hmm. we got we got a problem with uh, coronavirus. It, we're going to bring it out of retirement and put it up against uh, an iPad. Uh, with with a bunch of sensors that can be plugged into the iPad to see how accurate Spider was and what you know to look at the analog data that Spider was providing, mm-hmm. because Spider famously uh, never captured anything. Um, Maybe you know, because there was nothing to capture. Well, that's one of the things. But Spider Spider was different than all of the sort of uh, uh, more recent data gathering systems. Because Spider was analog, um, the computer was obviously a digital device, but the, the sensors were analog sensors. The recorders were mostly analog recorders. The computer was the switch. Uh, whereas now, of course, we have a lot of digital devices, digital recorders. Uh, and so what we're interested in is, was Spider missing analog? You know, is, is there an advantage to analog or digital recording? You know, do we do digital recorders, digital devices, digital sensors give us an advantage that we didn't previously have? Or when we threw out film and went to digital photography, uh, did we throw away 
did we throw away the advantage? When we, when we moved from cassette tapes to digital recorders, did we lose the advantage or did we gain something? We don't know. No, we we, we gained know. lots of ghost hunters is what we gained. But what we don't know is <laughs> did, did, you know, which, which of the two systems was the better at detecting you know, what, what the things that we're looking for? Mm-hmm. We simply we simply threw the baby out with the bathwater and all and that. That's digital. the thing that you know it always intrigues me. And I've talked, you and I have talked about it before. Is is you know the original EVPs that came out there were yeah. quite extensive, and I, and now the, you know they get these little blips on something, and and that's evidently proof of it. And it's 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 there's no comparison between the two. The analog was if you listen so to much... Eber and Jurgensen's uh, EVP recordings or those, you know, from Gertrude Schmeidler and others, they are so much clearer, so mm. much clearer and distinct than anything you're getting with your obelis or your other squawk boxes. Right. So I, I don't so I mean and, and yet we have all this technique and we had this technology where you could get clear EVPs, and yet, and, we, and yeah, and yet we come up with this stuff that that we keep breaking things to try to make things work to the way we want it, not because we're not getting the stuff that they could get, which is ridiculous anyway. But we ran out of time; we've got to go. So, right. anyways, that's a, a brief show, and and we'll talk. Have another one another time and talk about some other devices uh, on uh, ghost hunting and. and what your thoughts are, you can always email us. Uh, uh, you can email me at inegosproject.com and let egosproject.com and give me your thoughts on it. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Circles, Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, Emmethorn, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Law Group on 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. Go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say there's a lot of devices I support the use of. It's not all negative. Okay. So tune in next week. All right, stay tuned for another show, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and myself. And we'll be looking at some weird sides of the paranormal. And good night. God bless. God bless. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night, deliver us good law.